Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Total Soccer Show, and our review of the Africa Cup of Nations round of 16. There's been no shortage of upsets as Senegal, Morocco and Egypt were among the favourites who've been sent home, while hosts Ivory Coast have scraped into the quarters and DR Congo are in the last eight without winning a game in open play. Marvellous stuff. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to talk all things AFCON, we've got your friend and mine, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, I'm excited to be here, excited to talk AFCON. There have been some good games and there have been some bad games that were still quite good. Lots of hashtag drama to discuss, Taylor. Yeah, Looking forward to it very much. Yeah, so joining us to have that discussion, Graham Ruthven. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you? Have any of your pre-tournament predictions held up? Because mine certainly haven't. None of the top five nations have made it as far as the quarterfinals. I don't know if anyone saw this on Twitter yesterday. But I-, I find this amazing. None of the eight teams that have made the quarterfinals at this tournament... We're in the last. We're in the quarterfinals of the last Afcon. We have eight completely new teams, which is sheer madness. I can't think of a tournament where that has ever happened before. So we're in new territory. Can't wait to get into it. Yeah, safe to say this hasn't gone to form in many ways, but very exciting all the same. Joe Lowry with us. Hello, Joe. Yeah, hey guys. I had the exact tweet that Graham was referencing up on my phone, ready to share the exact same fact. In Afcon 2021, it was Senegal, Egypt, Morocco, Burkina Faso, Equatorial Guinea. Gambia, Cameroon, and Tunisia, and now none of those teams are here. It is Nigeria, DR Congo, Angola, South Africa, Mali, Cape Verde, Guinea, and the Ivory Coast. Guys, this tournament has been absolutely electric. The favorites, maybe the the star power is not quite the same now as it was to close out the 2021 edition, but man, the games and the upsets have been flowing steadily. I have been enjoying this immensely. Taylor is going to go full Jason Kelsey when Cape Verde end up winning this whole thing, which is uh, potentially on the cards now. How do you know? I haven't already. Uh, Between that and my (laughs) prediction that Ivory Coast would win the whole thing before the tournament began, I'm just choosing to uh, to argue that this was how they scripted it the whole time. We knew this is how it was going to play out. I had some conversations. I knew it was going to be some drama. So yeah, uh, Cape Verde, Ivory Coast in the final, and I'm very happy. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, by the way, if you would like to support the Total Soccer Show. Thank you to everybody who does so. Bonus episodes, uh, bonus videos, access to our Discord there. Uh, Videos of Taylor telling his friend about fax machines while sitting in a garage among the highlights (laughs) this week. Uh, Taylor, it's quite a funny discussion about your friend being incredulous that Europeans still use fax machines in business. Uh, Here's a fact for you. Europeans would be incredulous that you were sitting in reclining chairs in a garage. Yeah, it's kind of the suburban trend, right? It's like the 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 dad gets the garage or the dad gets the shed. That that's how my buddy has gone, and he's turned it to like a full on uh, crypto 
mining situation over there. I <laughs> don't really know what's was. going on. Yeah, yeah, he, he's a crypto bro. We, we sort of avoid that conversation uh, whenever possible and instead stick to wow. uh, the intricacies of transfers in football and watching various stand-up but, bits. That's Ryan, usually what did what you do. think that was? The crypto rigs don't exactly look... It's not an Xbox, is it? Like, I they, thought it was the mainframe. <laughs> I thought it was looking. plugging into the mainframe, Graham. <laughs> I wasn't sure what to make of it. Unless he was Ryan yeah, Graham. Wow. Ryan Graham knows what a mainframe looks like because he plugs in every day to prepare for this show. Let's not get ourselves. <laughs> Graham knew what that was from the very, very start. That's yeah, a great comment from Graham. What did you think that crypto thing was? Of course, it was one of those. We've all seen those things. What are you talking about, Ryan? Amazing. Good stuff. Uh, also coming up on the Patreon, we've got another quiz this week. Taylor hasn't told us what it's going to be about, but it's going to be fun. I'm I'm sorry that we can't all hang out by our luxurious ponds, Ryan. Some some of us have to hang out indoors in garages by crypto yeah. machines. I know, okay, I know yeah. that's not I know that's not up to <laughs> so your patrician standards. What's, what's fancy? A hole in the ground with water in it, or garage with reclining <laughs> chairs and crypto palace inside it? Neither. Team, Can the answer be neither? I'm on, I'm on team two. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get back to the soccer at Afcon, shall we? Graham, is this tournament? Me telling my mum about my decision to turn my career towards podcasting because there have been upsets. Did that line work? <laughs> not sure if it did. That's good. I'm workshopping. Uh, I'm not sure I totally followed that line, Ryan, which is always the sign of a good joke when I ask you to explain the joke. But nonetheless, there have been a lot of upset, upsets. You're right. Um, if we're looking at the bracket now, if we had to plot it from this point on, you would say uh, Nigeria Ivory Coast final is the most likely outcome. I would be well up for that final. Both those teams I have, I wouldn't say enjoy watching all the way through, but there are good storylines around those teams. But the number of upsets that we've had so far at this tournament, uh, it really feels like it's up for grabs for anyone to to, to win this thing. There's a, a number of nations that have never won AFCON that are now in the quarterfinals. This is a golden opportunity for a number of them to make history. Graham, in terms of enjoying watching these teams, wh- which teams that remain are you most enjoyed like excited to watch do you think you'll actually enjoy because there are some that have been captivating for maybe just the narrative itself and then there have been some that are interesting for the way they've played who would you say are the ones that you want to watch well so far angola have been fun right they're one of the top scoring teams in in this tournament uh, mabalulu some of his celebrations he is the the striker who is um make, uh, serving a tribute to Bafatemi gomez and um, i presume just because they look quite similar he's doing like the panther celebration every time he scores he's got three goals at this tournament so the, in general angola are, are just a fun team i don't know if i'm skipping ahead a little bit here but i expect that quarterfinal against nigeria to be a tougher test than they have had so far in this tournament and that will probably be the ceiling for them but talking about Nigeria I think Nigeria are a team whose games I'm starting to look out for not necessarily because they are the most exciting entertaining team to watch in fact they've been the opposite of that they've been quite stodgy and and, and stable but that's the reason I'm finding them interesting is they're completely different to what I thought they were going to be like in this tournament I had them down to be one of the big guns that go out in the group stage and I thought they would do that because they'd just be so chaotic and they've had they'd have all this attacking talent they wouldn't know how to fit it into a structure and they would fall over that hasn't happened they've been a very different team and I like it when teams uh, surprise me even if they make a mockery of my predictions and good kits as well right Graham that's important. oh Nigeria always have fantastic mm. kits I don't know yeah. I don't know if there's like a, a Nigerian that works at, at Nike in the design department but Nigeria always get tier one kits from Nike 
Tier 1 kits. It's all we can ask for for a national team, Graham. Uh, let's go through the round of 16 uh, results. We'll start off with Angola's 3-0 win over Namibia. This is something, Joe, that we covered a little bit on the weekend review. Uh, Angola with yep. their keeper sent off early for that fairly egregious handball outside the area, but they recovered nicely. They, they absolutely did. I think I said on Monday that this was a, a really impressive performance or a good performance at least for a team that played the vast majority of this game with 10 men. Ryan, you mentioned Deblu getting sent off for, for using his hands outside the box. An honest mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. That happened in the 17th minute, so there were still 73 and change left to play in this game. And they bring on Signore Antonio and pretty much are fine from this point forward. It wasn't like Namibia you know, didn't cause any trouble for them. They did. They had a few chances. They had a, a number of looks in the first half and a couple of looks in the second half. But really, Angola, I thought, were the, the pretty clear, better team in this game. Tactically, I didn't see a lot of crazy stuff from either side. You know, they, they split possession pretty evenly in the first half. I think it might have been 50-50, actually. Both teams are sort of trading barbs. But I thought Angola had the individual difference makers. Now, I think they're going to struggle moving forward. We've kind of talked about that already. But in this game against Namibia, I thought Gilberto, who was out on the right wing, 22 years old, I thought he was pretty sharp, especially early on in the match in the first half. And I thought Gelson Dada was efficient on the left side as well. He scored two goals, crashed the box really, really well, and gets the assist on the third goal. The wingers were sharp. Graham, you mentioned like some of the other attacking quality in this team. They had just enough, I thought, to get by Namibia in this game. I'm not expecting them to make it another round, but they were efficient when they needed to be and recovered from some calamity in the first half quite well. The Mabalulu finish for the third Angola goal. I know I've already spoken about him, but in terms of his his actual goal, it's one of the best goals of the tournament so far. It's pure finesse. R one circle for that finish into the far uh, into the far post. As I say, might be one of my favourite goals of the tournament. The the kind of bend and dip on it that he gets is fantastic. He's he's just a really fun player to watch. And I agree with the two players that you highlighted, Joe uh, Gelson Dalla, who I swear has the, the instincts of a centre forward with some of some of the runs that he makes and his header for the second goal against Namibia is an absolute bullet. And then Gilberto is a baller on the right side of the front three. Some of the touches he takes are, are ridiculous and his assist for the first goal against Namibia, okay, the defending isn't great, but the little half step over and then the nonchalant ball through it's glorious. So that is the positive side of Angola as their attack is certainly fun to watch. Uh, Angola, Taylor, face Nigeria in the final eight on Friday. Do we suspect this is the end of the road for Angola? Uh, I, I do, but that's I, I can't claim to have watched nearly as much Angola as Joe and Graham. So I think that's mostly me going with maybe the bigger name, but also I have been impressed by what Nigeria have done. I think Graham and Joe both talked about last time we talked about Nigeria, how the shift to a back three had been a very useful development for them. And I think we saw that again against Cameroon. It really did seem to give them consistent cover uh, and never really looked too threatened by Cameroon, which is maybe also a condemnation of Cameroon and the way they attacked. Uh, but I, I think Nigeria have a team that have sort of have been a team that have figured things out as they've gone gotten stronger with each appearance or with each game. And I think a team that is getting stronger and learning along the way is a team that is worth discussing and getting excited about. Yeah, and it's not just Nigeria. I think that's going to cause Angola problems. I think Angola will cause problems for themselves in the quarterfinals. Their their weak point very clearly is the individual quality of their center backs. Yeah, you know, they're, they're put in some difficult spots by going down a man, and that makes defending more difficult. But the individual quality just isn't there to the point where you could see Namibia have some real joy going at them 1v1, picking up loose balls in the attacking half, getting them off balance. 
I just don't think, and, and maybe this will be a ridiculous soundbite in a few days, I just really don't think that Angola have the ability to contain the best, probably the best individual player left in this tournament when we look at Victor Osiman, who is like just a legit superstar for any competition on any level. He's going to have a lot of opportunities against these center backs. Well, let's talk about uh, uh, Angola's opponents coming up then, Joe. Nigeria with a 2-0 win over Cameroon. Adamola Lukman scoring twice in that game against not Andre Onana. Uh, Cameroon failing to register a shot on target in that game too. Joe, what did you make of it? Yeah, Cameroon, again, just the complete chaos team. I called it out before the tournament started. They very much lived up to that billing. We talked about earlier in the week, like this Nigeria team forced Cameroon into some mistakes, which is a good thing, right? That's what good teams do in any competition at any level. Good teams make it difficult for their opponents to defend cleanly, right? They put them in compromising positions. They attack with numbers. They have individual advantages that make dealing with 1v1s difficult. They have all those things. And Nigeria did those things in this game. They didn't do a ton of it, though, but they did enough. And then they benefited from ridiculously poor shot stopping from Cameroon. And you combine those things with Nigeria probably having the talent edge across the board and certainly having the talent edge when it comes to that front line. Like this, this game was always pretty much always going to go their way from the moment that first goal slipped past Ondoa in uh, in the first half from from Adamala Lukman. Like they just did not have it Cameroon in this yeah. game and, and in a lot of ways made Nigeria's life easier than it needed to be. Yeah, you called them chaotic, Joe, and I would certainly agree with that in a defensive sense, but it was a bad mix for Cameroon at this tournament where they're chaotic at the back and I thought very stale going forwards um, where creativity was an issue for them throughout the tournament. They just didn't have any. And Zambo and Guisa, we talked about him before the, the tournament in our preview show. Great box-to-box player. Even Olivier and Cham, um, someone I watched a lot of at Celtic, he has ability as an anchor, but who's creating in that midfield in the possession phase and it just never felt like Cameroon had a clear idea of how they were going to create opportunities and when you partner that with their defensive issues some of the goalkeeping from Andoa in this match was wild particularly for a disallowed goal in the first half where he came rushing off his line twice to get involved when he didn't have to and he got a bit lucky that the goal was um was disallowed. Of course, no Andre Onana again for Cameroon in this game, as you mentioned there, Ryan. Uh, Onana, he played just one game at AFCON, didn't make a single save. His save percentage for the tournament was 0%. So that was a worthwhile trip for him. Um, And Graham, yeah, I think with Andoa, uh, your point about the disallowed goal definitely comes out when he doesn't need to. There's a ton of defenders there. But it is also a situation in which, though the goal is disallowed, if you're a defender... It, it leaves you wondering what happens next time. Is he coming for this ball? Is he not coming for this ball? It just creates uncertainty. And I think Cameroon did not need more uncertainty in this game. And when we talk about Andre Onana, we talk about a player who's basically been frozen out by the coach, frozen out by the president of the federation. And to my understanding, that is also the case with Vincent Abubakar, who was the scorer of that amazing goal in the World Cup. Uh, admittedly, he has also, I believe, been frozen out uh, at club level at Besiktas. So maybe there's some personal stuff going on there. But when you have... Basically, your goalkeeper and your center forward, your primary attackers, uh, like frozen out, not in favor. I do think it's always going to be an uphill battle. He comes on in the 77th minute and is, I believe, statistically one of their better performers, which is saying something about a guy who was on the pitch for 13 plus minutes. All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we'll talk about the Guinea Derby, Egypt's exit and much more back shortly. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our AFCON round of 16 review. Let us, Graham, go to... The Guinea Derby, Equatorial Guinea, with a 1-0 loss to Guinea. Uh, Mohamed Bayo with the 98th minute headed winner for Guinea in this one. Equatorial Guinea missing a penalty earlier in the game as well. We're not, are we going to file this one under classic games? Probably not. Yeah, poss- possibly <laughs> not. The, the first half of this match in particular was a complete non-event. Both teams were, were feeling each other out and it just felt like your classic knockout match and that neither team was willing to take the risk to make something happen thankfully that the second half was um a little bit more eventful as you mentioned right we had the missed penalty we had a disallowed goal we had a red card and then towards the end it was starting to feel a bit desperate with with both goal- goalkeepers having to make some saves and then we got the 98th minute winner from bio which incidentally was the latest regulation time winner in afcon history um, so that was notable. I, th- I thought the, the biggest difference between the two teams was the Guinea right wing. Guinea had a, a reliable way to funnel attacks into the final third, whereas Equatorial Guinea didn't really have that. I thought Diakiti was excellent in getting forward to support attacks from right back, and it's his brilliant cross which picks out the near post run uh, of Bayo for, for the winner. And Bayo was also slotted in behind a couple times down, down the right side. And Guinea would also do this thing where they, they made good use of quick switches out to the right side to vary their approach as well. And you can see on the on the heat map how much of their attacking play came down the right and ho- also how much higher they were on the right side than than the, the left and if you compare that to Equatorial Guinea they just weren't able to get forward in the way that they had been able to in the group stage we talked about them after the group stage how they they got bodies forward quickly how their crossing was good and none of that really happened in this match they just weren't able to really impose themselves but through that missed in Sui penalty they still had an opportunity to get ahead in this match and I'd imagine they'll uh, they'll regret that that missed chance Graham how bullish were we on Guinea remind us at the start of this tournament obviously they go through in third place in their group they had Senegal and Cameroon in that group as well uh overachieving at this point um when you look at the draw per- perhaps not because I, d- I did think Cast my mind back to the preview, which seems like a lifetime ago. Right. I think Joe in particular was quite bullish on certainly their individual talent. Um, Serhu Jurassi, who, by the way, only comes off the bench in this game for the last 30 minutes. I think he's still struggling with a, an injury that he picked up before the tournament. Obviously, he's a, a star player for them. But you look through their squad, they've got a number of players that are, are you know operating at the highest level in, in, in Europe. So they do have that individ, individual talent within their squads and on that basis it's not surprising that they make it past Equatorial Guinea but Equatorial Guinea were in my eyes probably the biggest overachievers from the group stage they looked like a good team um, after their first three games so with that context I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't offer more in this match Fair enough Joe you concur with the the, the Guinea analysis Guinea analysis <laughs> 
I I didn't like that, but yes, I do concur <laughs> with that analysis from Graham. Like you look at some of the individuals in this team, and I know that's an easy way as someone you know as a group of people that spend a lot of time talking about European soccer. It's an easy way to look at a team and say, oh, good, okay, no, bad. They don't have any players in top five leagues, and that's overly reductive. But having players who are playing at some of the highest levels of the game is a rough indicator of quality. And Guinea do have some of that. The problem is Nabi Keita and Garassi in particular just haven't been fit enough to play huge roles for this team. But so far, it just doesn't matter, guys, because they've made it out of the group stage. They took care of business in the round of 16, and they have one of the most favorable matchups in the next round. I mean, there's a handful of seemingly favorable ones. Like, this is a real chance for, for Guinea to take on DR Congo and make it to the quarterfinals. And I mean, on the other side of their half of the bracket, are Mali and the Ivory Coast really unbeatable at this point? I like both of those teams better than Guinea or DR Congo. But like, man, that side of the bracket, both sides of the bracket are, are up for grabs at this point. As you mentioned, Joe, Guinea will be facing DR Congo on Friday in the quarterfinals. Taylor, uh, DR Congo progressing at the expense of Egypt, a 1-1 draw in regular time, settled 8-7 on penalties. DR Congo's goalkeeper scoring the 18th penalty of the shootout here to knock out the seven-time champions, Egypt. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably not the result we were expecting. No, definitely not. And not the tournament we were expecting from Egypt. I think Graham's got some thoughts on that one. Uh, to this game in particular, though, I talked about it in the weekend review. Uh, in that shootout, their goalkeeper, Egypt, goes the wrong way. I think eight of nine times or thereabouts. Uh, not a great performance from him. Uh, but I think for Egypt, he was not the only one who should hang their head in shame. I meant I had like a rant ready for this one on Weekend Review, and I don't think I got to it. But the, the equatorial, or the, excuse me, the DR Congo goal comes about because there is a throw-in that they, they, Egypt, feel should not have been given to DR Congo. And six different players stop and put their hands in the air and look at the ref as DR Congo pick the ball up, take the throw-in, cross the ball, ball goes in the net. And then Egypt all stop to complain about how it should have been offside. I believe briefly forgetting that you can't be offside on a throw-in, but just how much they all completely froze to yell at the official about a throw-in in their own defensive third was just completely not paying attention, completely switching off. Uh, they get back into it through a, I would say, favorable uh, penalty decision via VAR, but overall it's a tournament in which they didn't really reach the heights that we expected. Obviously, Mohamed Salah being injured is a part of that, but they still had plenty of talent and I think could have done more, should have done more, but didn't in the end. And it reminds me of the 2018 World Cup when Salah gets hurt and can't go. And there's still an expectation that maybe they'll do something. And they did the opposite of that. Yeah, not not to give myself um, too much credit because many of my predictions did not pan out. But this is the one I did call this on our show last week that Egypt would, would lose this game. Not because I had any great faith in, in DRC, but because Egypt had been so bad at this tournament. Of all the big teams that have gone out at this tournament already, Egypt were probably, in my mind anyway, the most disappointing. And obviously, Morocco and Senegal, spoiler alert, have also gone out, but at least they showed what they could do on their day at this tournament. They did have good games or periods of matches where they were impressive. Egypt never did that. They were they were atrocious throughout this tournament. The balance between defence and the attack never felt right. Yes, in games they, they, they had a lot of possession, but certainly without Salah, they didn't do a great deal with it. They didn't seem to have many ideas on how to create opportunities. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they're going home early. They don't deserve, they didn't do enough to earn a, play, a place in, in a quarterfinal of a major tournament. No, Dio Congo did though, Graham. Um, TSS favourite Gael Kakuta uh, in trouble potentially for the quarters. 
Yeah, so he was out through injury for this match, which was disappointing because, in my mind, he's been DRC's most uh, influential player at this AFCON yep. so far. So for them to get through without him is impressive. I'm still sort of reeling from the fact that he's now this sort of string-pulling, deep-lying playmaker when he wasn't that player when he burst through a number of years ago, and maybe this is just my ignorance. Um, I haven't watched him in a long time until this tournament, so that's still very surprising to me. But he is exceptionally influential. Um, the, the DRC, they have good attacking players. They've got Wissa, uh, Bakambu as well, um, high-pedigree attacker, but Kakuta is frequently the player that knits that all together. And you could see even in this performance... As poor as Egypt were, that DRC weren't quite... I feel like they've got more in them, potentially, when Kakuta comes back. Um, so, yeah, they'll certainly hope that he's back for the quarterfinal against Guinea on Friday because without him, they might not be able to create a, a, a whole lot in a match that I expect they'll have a good amount of the ball in. Yeah. A Kakuta, 32 still, by the way, as we've covered previously. He made his Chelsea full-team debut in 2009. Joe, what were you up to in 2009 when Kakuta made his debut? <laughs> Talking about soccer with you guys, obviously. Yep. Been doing that yep. all along since the 90s, <laughs> my favourite decade. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on DR Congo's progression? Nope. Good. Taylor, <laughs> any more thoughts on this game, or should we move on? Uh... Still just disappointed in Egypt. I feel like that's a recurring thing. But credit to DR Congo. I look forward to them in the knockout round. I do hope Kakuta is back to what Graham said, because I think otherwise DR Congo, who had an XG of 1.63 in this game, I don't feel like they had many like sustained attacks that I recall or many electric attacking plays. I do think Kakuta could make that more likely. Okay. Uh, DR Congo are through, of course, facing Guinea on Friday. Taylor, it's time for Cape Verde talk. Woo! A 1-0 win over Mauritania in uh, in this one. Uh, what did we make of it? It went about exactly as we expected it would. I wouldn't say this was like my my favorite of the knockout round games. I did have some that I did enjoy. I feel like I've said that about every game so far. Uh, but it, it didn't feel like there was the highest level of quality, so it felt open at times but not even in the like free-flowing back and forth everybody's attacking there's just chaos all over the pitch it felt like two teams that were aware that they could get something out of it but also were aware that they could just as easily be caught in the back and so I thought it was it was a great win for Cop Verde I think their story remains really exciting I love that Bebe goes to the knockout round or further into the knockout round and who knows what will happen from there but uh but yeah credit to them overall this was a match that happened <laughs> any more any more to add than that graham on this match that definitely happened in just uh, in... just r.i.p mauritania um because i was hopeful they might be able to get it was a good draw for them you know cap verde they were the better team they just about edged it. i agree with everything that taylor said it was a p- peculiar match and it was quite open at time but at times but definitely lacking in quality cap verde deserved to go through but it was there for mauritania it wasn't you know ivory coast or nigeria or one of the top ranked teams that they got in the, the round of 16 so there will be some regret there but this tournament is still a huge success for them the biggest success in in their history and the whole thing coming into this AFCON was win a match they hadn't done that before and they did it against Algeria as well one of the top ranked teams so to make it out of the group was completely unthinkable for them as I say a little bit of regret they might have gone one match further but yeah still a massive success for Mauritania 132 passes completed for Mauritania I think that's the lowest of any team in the knockout round it might be the lowest of any team in the tournament so far I guess Again, not that surprising, but uh, it just shows that Mighty Cavard cannot be stopped. 
Taylor, you mentioned the passes there, and and Graham is completely right about the fairy tale story for Mauritania. That goal against Algeria, Algeria, excuse me, will be something that goes on in their country's soccer legacy and is recorded and thought about for a long, long time. That's an incredible moment. Uh, the flip side of but, that coin is they were just yeah. completely outclassed <laughs> in this game. Like they had, I mean, credit to them, they had a couple of punches, but I think maybe my tone gives away a little bit more there than my actual words. They were the second best team throughout this game. Uh, Verde weren't fantastic either, and that did give Mauritania a little bit of breathing room. But in that 4-3-3 shape that we've come to expect from Cape Verde, they were aggressive with a lot of their pressure. Not as aggressive as they've been in some games because Mauritania didn't want the ball, as Taylor underlined very, very well. Uh, but they were they were the better team. We've talked some about Bebe in the front line. We've talked about Jimmy Montero, somebody that MLS fans know. We've talked about Steven Marrera, another name that MLS fans will know. But one other player who stood out to me in this game, who has stood out some in the group stage as well, is Ryan Mendes. He's playing on the right side of their front three in this game, often drifting into the middle. He was sharp. And I know he gets the penalty, but I had down in my notes even before the second half started. Like He was sharp, tucking inside a little bit, sharp running in behind the back line, good quick touches. You can tell that he is one of the higher level players in this team playing in Turkey right now on the top flight over there. I think if Cape Verde are going to continue this fairy tale run that they're on, and they have a very good chance to continue it against South Africa in the quarterfinals, I think Ryan Mendez is going to continue to have to have good games out on the right wing. There we go. That Cape Verde party you wrench in there, Joe, continues on Saturday with their game against South Africa. Uh, why don't we, Graham, go to Senegal's uh, game against the Ivory Coast? Ivory Coast going through 5-4 and penalties after a 1-1 uh, game in regular time. Uh, from Kessie the hero here, scoring a penalty late in normal time and scoring the winning shootout goal. That's quite a good scoring record from the spot for him in that game. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. 100% is what you aim for. <laughs> I thought the response from Ivory Coast was incredibly impressive in this game. And I mean the word response in two senses. So the response to everything that happened in the 4-0 defeat to Equatorial Guinea and the build-up to this match, they sacked their manager Gassi after that game, then tried to loan Herve Renard from the French women's national team. I'm not... I can't recall another time that a team's tried to loan a, a, another uh, team's manager. But anyway, there we go. Renard was not in charge for this game. It's an interim manager. And I highlighted earlier in the week about the, the the emotional damage from that loss to Equatorial Guinea. The players were booed off. They were in tears. The discourse around the team seemed to have become quite nasty. Um, I said on, uh, was, this, was it Monday or last week? Can't quite remember. That I couldn't see how that wouldn't take its toll. But instead, they looked galvanised by that experience. And fair play to Joe. He called that that might happen, but there was a cohesion and a spirit about the performance that I, I didn't think that would be there. But also the second mean of, meaning of the word response, I, I, I mean, in terms of the response to going behind so early in this match, because that could have, even if they come out in a good mindset for the start for kickoff, they're behind after three minutes in this game. It's a great finish by Habib Giallo. That could have quite easily popped the balloon again. But it didn't. And actually, over the course of the match, I felt Ivory Coast were the more proactive of the two teams. The way that they... Look, it wasn't the most free-flowing attacking performance. It wasn't like they were battering the door down. But the way they were able to take a grip of the match after falling behind, I, I found that impressive. So I watched this game knowing the result. I, I recorded it and watched it afterwards. And knowing the result, I was 
very confused about 20 minutes in because there's the opening goal Graham already talked about. Then there's the really reckless challenge by Sajo Mane on Ibrahim Basangare that I thought, oh, okay, Mane's going to get a red card here and that's how it's going to turn around. He doesn't. He gets a yellow. But then Sangare is down for treatment for a really long time and I think, oh, they're going to lose him. And then it cuts to the sidelines at this moment and Ali Usise, the Senegal manager, is is rapidly gesturing and he's calling people over and he's relaying instructions and he's talking and he's giving tactics and he's, he's giving very good instruction. And then it cuts to Emerson Faye, or Emerson Faye, the uh, Ivory Coast interim manager, and he is genuinely just sitting there staring blankly at the field. And I think he was waiting for the medical trainers to tell him what was going on. But in that moment, it was, I, I really did go back and check. Like, Ivory Coast definitely won this game because I thought for sure it was going to finish three or four nil. So to Graham's point, it really is fascinating that they keep fighting that they keep finding a way back into this and and the commentator kept saying it in like a quadruple negative way of like you can't say that they don't not deserve to not be back in this game uh when they finally get their equalizer i'm i don't know why he kept doing that but he it stood out to me but i agree with him i think if i understood the negatives correctly that ivory coast really did play their way into this they looked the more threatening team in the second half they end up getting a penalty via var in a hilarious situation how, in which how did that not how was okay. that not given initially i, I watched don't understand. this i watched this almost as many times as i watched the egypt uh throw in concession goal and i think what happens because the commentator says uh the player is booked for diving and for people who haven't seen who is it who gets fouled is it nicola pepe uh, yeah. nicola pepe yeah okay so pepe is in, in on goal and, and basically uh mendy the senegalese goalkeeper clears him out entirely and i think what the ref saw is that uh, Pepe does get a slight touch to it that could be considered a shot, I guess, is what the ref saw. And so it looks for a moment like he has a shot, Mendy saves it, and then clears out Pepe. And then the commentator said, oh, and he, then he's booked for simulation. But it's not Pepe who's booked. It's somebody else who's booked for uh, descent. I believe uh, Jean-Michel Serri, maybe? No, he gets booked for professional foul later on. But either way, that is what I think happened. And then VAR shows not only was that not a shot, but he was absolutely cleared out. It's definitely a penalty. Frank Kessier steps up up and ice in his veins finishes and then he finishes the final take uh, in the shootout once again ice in his veins no expression on his face as mendy plays game or tries to play head games uh it's a credit to ivory coast it's a massive turnaround for this tournament it will be an incredible story if they end up winning the whole thing or making a big run just because they're what the last third place team the lowest ranked third place team to get out in the end uh but you could see it in the in the penalties and how much it meant to them and those were some excellent penalties from ivory coast it's uh pepe hits his perfectly on the ground into one corner kwame hits his up perfectly on the ground into the other uh Hilaire steps up does a little stutter step, sends the keeper the wrong way, finishes it expertly. Serge Aurier rockets his in, and then Franck Hessier insteps it in with some speed behind it. Never looked phased. Ivory Coast through. Congratulations to them. Commiserations to Senegal, who have been really fun in this tournament, but that's the, the cruelty of the knockout round. It is. It absolutely is cruel for Senegal. They were the better team to open this game. They took advantage of their chances, and they just could not quite see this thing out, which is sort of fitting in some ways for their tournament and the reason why I said, you know, there's a, there's a real chance for Ivory Coast to be in this game when we were previewing these matchups last week is because Senegal have been consistently good, but rarely great in this tournament so far. They've been on pretty narrow margins. They've always been on the better side of that margin, but they have not been dominant. So when they come up against the best team they've faced, yes, I know Ivory Coast were poor in the group stage, but they are the best team on talent that Senegal have faced so far. They're not invincible and they certainly weren't in this game. This, for me, guys, is the most fitting way the Ivory Coast could have won this match. So we've talked about the penalty kick, and Taylor, you went through some of the, the refereeing stuff there. 
like you think about this goal and the sequence that led up to the goal. Was it from this pretty sustained, you know, tiki-taka possession sequence? Absolutely not. It was Ivory Coast winning the ball on the left side of midfield, transitioning after Senegal had lost possession, and it was the quality of one individual player to send the ball through Senegal's back line and eventually to latch onto Nicolas Pepe's foot. It was Sebastian Haller in his first appearance at this tournament for the Ivory Coast. It was not a team-wide structural thing. We saw Ivory Coast in a 4-4-2 shape. They haven't used that a ton in this competition, but it worked for them defensively in this match. They were, they were pretty solid after the opening minutes here. It, it was individuals that won the Ivory Coast this game. And if they're going to continue to progress in the tournament, it will not be a team-wide tactical approach because it was abysmal in the group stage in the attack. It was Seko Fofana long shot after Frank Kessier long shot after Ibrahim Sangare long shot in the group stage. And then Seko Fofana would take a few more at the end. Like we still saw some real lack of discipline from the Ivory Coast in the final third. Granted, they had some difficulties because Senegal score early and basically set up shop. They had 43% possession Senegal in the entire game, leaving the vast majority there for the Ivory Coast. They needed an individual to break the tie for them. They were not going to do it as a unit, becoming more than the sum of their parts. And Sebastian Haller was enough in that moment. The question for the Ivory Coast moving forward is, will he be enough or will someone be enough to get them past Mali and then passed into the semifinals and then into the final? It's not impossible for this group of players. I will say after that pretty sizable loss, it does seem like Ivory Coast did make a few adjustments and, and maybe Emers Faye gets a little bit of credit in my mind because in this game, he starts Sergiore at right back. He's got Conan as his left back. And it was notable to me how seldom they made really aggressive overlapping runs. And it felt like the goal was keep four at the back, keep them tight together. The fullbacks can advance into sort of the half spaces and contribute to possession, but we're not having two players fully, fully committed to the attack, only leaving two at home and getting caught on the break, especially against the Senegal team. And so it felt like the idea of stymie them, frustrate them, don't let them get anything, don't let them get clear-cut opportunities goes out the window really quickly when Senegal score in, what, the third minute, fourth minute? Uh, but I think that moment aside, I think the tactic worked well, and that would, in my mind, give them something to build on in the knockout round. Joe, I think your point still stands about the inefficiency in attack and how much they're relying on individuals, uh, but maybe when that individual is Sebastian Hilaire coming back, that's not the worst individual to have to rely on. Uh, Taylor, the manner in which Ivory Coast have sort of scraped through this tournament, you said that big loss, of course, in the group stage, but is it testament to the advantage of having home advantage in a tournament like this? Uh, well, uh, presumably, we, we wouldn't expect this to have happened if it wasn't being staged in the Ivory Coast. No, I don't I don't think we would. And, and which is an interesting thing, because that can go either way. It can be a galvanizing thing. It can be a everybody gives up. And, and you could see that when the when the opening goal happens, just the looks on everyone's faces was like, ugh. More of this. This is how it's going to go. We're out of this tournament in unceremonious fashion. But when when the game is still there, when it's still possible for Ivory Coast to to get a late equalizer, and then they do, you you can tell how much energy there is in the stadium. It comes through in the broadcast in the way that maybe Vuvuzelas and Silence come through in other games in this tournament. In this one, it felt like the atmosphere was there, the crowd was rowdy, and I think that probably did elevate the performance. Having Franck Cassier in the midfield, he doesn't start this game, but he comes in, so too does Haller, and so too, honestly, does Nicola Pepe. I thought he was very good, still to Joe's point, as an individual, but you could see the technical ability. He has a few really nice like uh, tight control moments under pressure and he tries to create and I think that they've got options for uh, the next round which is not something I was necessarily expecting from them after the group stage 
did everyone catch the Ivory Coast fan replicating the the mansplaining yes. to the woman in it the was nightclub? Awkward. <laughs> We lost 4-0 to Ecuadorio Guinea, and then we sacked our manager, and then we played Senegal, the tournament favourites. We knocked him out on penalties, and now we're going through to the quarterfinals. I mean, it's that, but if, like, clearly, maybe maybe not clearly drunkenly, but somewhat drunkenly screaming into her face while she's, like, smiling for the camera, like, the camera's on us, can you please yeah. stop grabbing me around the neck to tell me about the goal that just happened? It's more sinister in video form. It really was not my favorite thing. I was like, can someone check on her? Like, I don't know if they're together or if that's a father-daughter situation. Just somebody make sure things are okay down there, please. I I wouldn't see that that. moment, but I just like the idea of somebody listening to this podcast on times two speed. It's me. I'm guilty. I do that to podcasts. And then hearing (laughs) Graham go to times 12 speed right there with his actual tone uh, and being very, very confused (laughs) at what just happened. I love that. Joe, times two, not even times one and a half. Goodness, man. Depends. If wow. I'm listening to myself talk, yeah, I mean, I don't think He's it's a man possible with things to, to do, Ryan. Speed. Of course. I got, I got podcasts real. to listen to. Every episode of TSS and Soccer 101 exclusively, of course. Of course, yeah, they are the only two available. I would mock that um, situation in the stands that we saw there, that meme, but uh, I feel like I might have the same energy when I watch Welcome to Wrexham with my wife, so I probably <laughs> will uh, uh, refrain at this point. Probably, Ollie Palmer used to play for Wimbledon and then he left yeah. us and we nearly got relegated. <laughs> yeah. We were in this league, etc. Uh, right, let's take a quick break, shall we? When we come back, we'll talk about wins for Mali and South Africa. We'll preview the quarters. Much more coming shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our AFCON review. Mali had a 2-1 win over Burkina Faso, didn't they, Graham? Burkina Faso, uh, they went pretty deep last time, if memory serves. They will not be doing so this time. Yeah, they made the semi-finals, I believe, in three of the last AFCONs, which that figure now stands at three of the last five because they have been knocked out of the quarterfinals by a Mali team I thought deserved to win this game. Although this is one of those matches where you have an impression on how it went and then you check the numbers afterwards and they don't quite align with what you you thought you watched. Um, At the time, I thought Mali were good value for this win. In the first half in particular, I thought they were in complete control dominating possession it felt like Burkina Faso were really struggling to get out in any meaningful way their their only real hope was on the counter and they did have a couple moments where they were able to stretch the legs and obviously players like Bertrand Traore who can you know they can be dangerous he can be dangerous when he has space to to run into but it never it never felt to me like Mali were at any real risk of losing this match I know there's the late rally and Burkina Faso scored the penalty and then there's the disallowed goal I don't know about you guys even that disallowed goal I was pretty clear that was offside from the moment it was it was scored it wasn't particularly close um then I looked at the numbers Burkina Faso edged the the XG in this game and I guess the caveats there is that Burkina Faso had a penalty and the first Mali goal is an own 
goal, which we should maybe talk about that goal because it's one of the most confusing goals of the the whole tournament. Um, so maybe in retrospect, Mali could have created more, but I still felt like they cruised this one largely. Yeah, yeah, Grim, I completely agree with you. This is the perfect example of why using single game XG to make arguments about games is dangerous and not always the right thing to do because you look at the XG and yeah, Burkina Faso had the edge. You watch the game and see the types of chances that were created. The vast majority of Burkina Faso's XG, or at least more than half of it, comes from one moment and that is the penalty kick. And Mali, for the flip side, get nothing added to their XG total when Edmund Tapsoba just boots the ball into the back of his own net in a truly wild moment in what has already been a wild tournament. So this is a reminder to everybody out there, myself included, like you cannot, or at least you should not, make a detailed argument about a game based off of that one statistic. XG at its core is meant to be taken from a much larger sample size and is supposed to be a predictive stat rather than one that you look back on for any particular game. It's a useful tool for all that stuff, but Molly, they were the better team in this game. We saw their 4-4-2 diamond. We saw them go out and do Molly things that we've come to expect from them in this competition. They pressed, they create turnovers in midfield. Whenever Burkina Faso tried to build up, they would shift their diamond from side to side and really squeeze them against the sideline. I thought their front three, the two strikers and Dumbia as the number 10, had some pretty good connections, especially in the first half. They were the better team, and Edmund Tapsoba just sort of formalized that yeah. early on in this game. So, does anyone have any theories on what happened with oh, that goal? Oh, I do. It's very confusing. Uh, Graham, he, he did an oopsie. He did an oopsie. Ah, thing. right. Yeah, that's it. Ah. Of course. Yeah, that explains it. I um, ah. When I first saw it, I thought it sort of just like hit off him, and he hadn't had the time to react. But then, then I watched it again. The ball travels quite a distance. He's looking at it all the way, and it's sort of like he tries to cushion a pass back to the goalkeeper, but the goalkeeper isn't in the middle of the goal. And also, even if that ends up back at the keeper, he can't catch it. So what's he expecting the goalkeeper to do with a cushion pass? It reminded me of when you start playing a fives game or a pickup, a pickup game, and someone does something stupid right at the start, and they're like, oh, are we playing? That was the vibe from Edmund Tapsoba, <laughs> three minutes in, but in an AFCON so, round of 16 match. So cheating. Graham is indirectly saying there was match fixing, is, is what I'm hearing there uh, with the Don't Are We Playing. Um, Graham, the only thing I, I thought of in that moment is, and, and Edmund Tapsoba is, is far and away much, 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 much better at football than I will ever be. Uh, it felt to me like he, he froze and basically was of a mind of, do I pass this back? Do I try to just clear it out for a corner and just put it into touch and not worry about it? Do I try to control and turn out of pressure? And I think in trying to process all of those options simultaneously, he did nothing and passed into his own goal. It, it's really a strange, strange moment. It's one of the strangest own goals I can recall seeing. And just even his reaction appears frozen and confused as to what has just gone down. I imagine as that ball slowly floats into the net when you realize that you've just in-step volleyed an own goal in, you have to have a moment of like, oh, no. And then it just slowly <laughs> drops insultingly into the net. Not a great moment for him or Burkina Faso, for sure. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, oh, no, feeling. <laughs> just not familiar with it being a goal in an, an own goal in an AFCON game. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, well, Marley, as we noted, will be facing Ivory Coast on Saturday. Uh, Morocco are out of the tournament, a 2-0 loss to South Africa. Africa's top-ranked side, Taylor, and one of your faves are out. Uh, Sofian Amrabat also out uh, early in this game, uh, dismissed in, uh, in stoppage time. Akraf Hakimi missing a late penalty to equalise before South Africa doubled their advantage as well. Herboy. I thought this was a really frustrating game from a Moroccan perspective, obviously. From a South African perspective, terrific game. Uh, but for Morocco, 
a thing that I have praised them uh, for con- consistently, and I think Joe was the first to spotlight it in the previews. I think Graham had some thoughts on it too, and it's a thing that I kept paying more and more attention to is the variety of their attacking play and how they can uh, have crosses from the channel, they can have direct attacks from the channel, but then they can carry inside and create shots and get numbers into the middle and sort of overwhelm opponents that way or from out wide uh, or on the counter. And in this game, it just felt like it stagnated entirely, and I think a lot of that has to do with the absence of Hakeem Zayesh. Uh, but it was just also the, their overall attacking shape was really odd at times. I think they were meant to be in uh, like basically a, a two four four of sorts, uh, but it ended up really being like a two two six, and they never really had numbers in the middle. It just felt strangely disjointed for large stretches of this match uh, the way they have not at other points in this tournament. And I would also spotlight uh, Roma Saiz, the the center back for, for Morocco in the opening goal for South Africa. It is not him uh, who keeps the attacker on side, but he has this weird, like, paranoid, he thinks the pass is coming, and he sprints back, like, five or six yards as a preemptive, like, I'm going to drop off to give a little bit of a cushion, and then that pass doesn't come, but the defensive line drops with him, and then he steps back out, and he's the captain, he's supposed to be the leader, but I think it's his panicky moment that pulls the defense back, and then he steps out and forgets to tell everyone else to step out, and that's why there is a a really staggered offside line that leads to an onside opportunity uh, for South Africa, and I also thought they were really smart in how they created their opportunities, by contrast to what I've just said about Morocco. I felt like South Africa found moments to play between the lines, found pockets of space, were able to connect some passes, and were able to score some goals. I'm pleased we're seeing a South Africa run, Taylor, Mm -hmm. because I wrote about them for the the newsletter. They are an interesting team at the moment. I thought the first goal, which I think is the goal you're describing there with the kind of fragmented Morocco offsides uh, line, if we're looking at the South Africa side of that goal, it demonstrated everything that they are or they want to be as a team. It was quick combination play, get the ball into Thembozwani, who, when he's played well at this tournament, I feel like South Africa have played well. He's the cohesion player for them in the final third with the way that he drops into midfield, gets on the turn. He likes to play through balls, takes up good goal-scoring positions himself. So he's such an important player for them. But he's the one who gets in the half turn for the goal, um, picks up the pocket of space and then plays the, the ball into... Um, uh, Mac uh, Gopa that's when South Africa are dangerous and you'd have to think that that sort of incisiveness comes from the Sundowns connection with so many of the of this team playing for the same club side I, I believe seven players I know Thembo Zwani is one of those players uh, seven of the of the 11 players that started this game play for the Sundowns half the squad in, in total play for the Sundowns as well so that feels like something to build around and they obviously they lost their first game to Mali but I remember saying when we talked about those games even in that performance, there were little signs of the team that they could be. So I am pleased. You talked, uh, I can't remember if it was yourself, Taylor, or, or, or Ryan that asked me at the top of the show, who are the entertaining, exciting teams? I would actually add South Africa to that mm-hmm. list in retrospect because they, they can play uh, good ball at times. Yep. And uh, Percy Tao is another one I would shout there. I think he's involved in the build-up to that goal. He just shifts over, finds a gap between the, the, the two lines of defense from Morocco, but then also finds gaps between players. Uh, he receives it. I think he lays it off to uh, to Temba Zouane, uh, who then has that first-time ball that you talked about, Graham. But I thought that interplay was very good. And checking uh, uh, Percy Tao's Wikipedia page, he played for the Sundowns until 2018. So I feel like the point still stands. They have a lot of familiarity when it comes to that club. They still know each other's names. Yeah, they didn't exactly. join up for this exactly. one. Right? Exactly. Who are you again? <laughs> I... <sighs> I like what South Africa did in this game. I'll be honest. I thought they were the second best team by a massive margin in this match. They were smart and savvy in how they took advantage of mistakes from Morocco. 
I think if this game gets played 100 times, Morocco win 97 of them. Like, they were controlling the ball. They were creating chances. Now, I did think they missed Akeem Ziyech quite a bit in this match. From the start of this tournament, we've talked about how set pieces are a huge asset for a Moroccan side that at the World Cup made their run off of transition play. And because of the talent in this team, we're not going to be able to do that at this competition. And they didn't, right? They controlled the ball in each and every game so far, even in this one, losing 2-0. Like they missed Ziyech's delivery, and I thought Hakimi missed Ziyech a little bit as his running mate on that right side. It was Hakimi and Oani on that on that right side of the field for Morocco, and their I thought it was more of a four three three, but it was fluid Taylor, so point taken on that front. But like I thought Hakimi was was really sharp in the first half outside of the penalty kick that he missed in this game, but he missed Ziyech sort of as someone to combine with on that right side. So I'm not saying it was a perfect game for Morocco, but like South Africa. They took one shot from inside the box in this game. They were yeah. not dangerous for the vast majority of this match. I'm not. I'm not saying Morocco like deserved to go though, through Jim? just Sorry because they played a bit. What's that, Ryan? <laughs> I was just asking what's the shot on target. We need to know. Mm, I'll go ahead. And, uh, Jeff. Jeff's got that stat for you. Okay, um, he's he's to make it He'll send it to you six times today. <laughs> like he, he keeps setting it up. I'm not saying Morocco deserved to win, um, but like I think most of the time this game is played, they do win. And this tournament, yeah. in my mind, is worse off for not having them in the quarterfinals. Joe, I mean, I know, I think you're totally right. And I think even to your point about the 4-3-3, like, I think that's probably what it was supposed to be. But I think that speaks to some of, like, the lack of discipline and the just throw things out and see what happens approach that I think Morocco had in the final 20 minutes, which almost worked. <laughs> like, like, lest we forget, they get a penalty. And and if I have a person stepping up that isn't Ziyech to take that penalty, it's Ashraf Hakimi. And I assume he's going to bury it. He does the opposite of that. He slams it off the bar. What we've seen in this tournament, by the way, is if you are taking a penalty, don't lean back at all. Just just pass it on the ground into the corner. Do that in this tournament. Every time a person sits back, leans it. back, they hit it wide or they hit it over. And so there is there is a moment in this game when it's 1-0, but Hakimi's about to take this penalty, and it's going to be 1-1, one one, and, and we're going to go to extra time. Here we go. Then he misses the penalty. Then, as we're getting replays of that, this has happened a couple times. I don't know if it's a be-in issue, but we're getting replays, and then we're getting shots of the coaches and the supporters, and we cut back to, like, a dramatic play underway. And in this case, there's suddenly a foot race, Sofian Amrabat, with a gentle shove in the back, (laughs) which I don't think needed to happen. But then he gets his second yellow. He's sent off. South Africa score from that free kick. And soccer is a cruel thing that in one moment, it felt like (laughs) one-to-one extra time. And very quickly, it's 2-0 and a player sent off from Morocco. It doesn't feel like they're going to get through at that point. It's difficult to imagine, Taylor, how that scenario at the end of the match could have gone any worse for Sofian yeah. Amrabat. He, as you mentioned, he brings down a South African player on the break, knowing that he's taken a second booking for it. So he does that to stop a, score, a, a scoring opportunity. They bring him back up the tunnel for the VER review, Oof. only for the review to turn the second yellow into a straight red. Yeah. He's still sent off, gets sent back the tunnel, and then uh, South Africa scored the free kick anyway, that he fell the guy to stop scoring in the first place. Uh, but Not I ideal. also think... Like with all of that hilarity and calamity, it's also representative of, I think, the breakdown from Morocco that I don't think he needed to do that. I understand why he did, but it is not clear through on goal. And that the touch that like that follows is a heavy touch going sort of into a tight angle. I think he didn't need to do that. And I think it's just the panic of the moment. And then he ends up getting a straight red. That should motivate him when he goes back to Manchester United. That should all work out just fine. Uh, but yeah, I think I think from... Them having that penalty, I fully felt like, okay, we're getting extra time. We should just skip extra time and go to penalties where Morocco will win. On we go. We know how this goes. And so 
That it doesn't go that way is, I think, pretty sad for Moroccan supporters, many of whom showed up, as you predicted, Graham. Uh, but it is a great story for South Africa, who who find a way through, and on to the next round they go. It's a, it's a rough one, Taylor, first off, your number about one minute you're toast of a World Cup, the mm-hmm. next minute you're sent off as your team's ejected from AFCON, and then you have to go back to Man United <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> there it is. Tough life. Tough life for him. Tough life rough. for him rough indeed all right so our quarterfinals are set as we've noted for friday and saturday nigeria taking on angola uh, dr congo are facing guinea mali against the host cote d'ivoire and cape verde taking on south africa graham if you had to schedule one of these games as appointment viewing do you have a, a preference um in terms of which is the which is That's the heaviest the weight of the matches maybe mali ivory coast yes, i think um, in terms of which is the has the potential to be the most entertaining, I'm struggling a little bit. Nigeria, Angola, just because Angola have been fun so far, and Nigeria have Victor Osman and good attackers. Although they haven't really played in a way that liberates those players so far at this tournament. But yeah, those would be my two picks. But then who knows? Like this tournament has been so difficult to predict, and teams have played differently to how we we expected. So I would say just watch all four games, and one of them at least will uh, be entertaining. Wonderful. Taylor, if we are going to predict an upset in this tour- in this round, is it going to be Angola somehow going through Cape Verde? Um, I would like that. Ni- Nigeria-Angola was going to be my-, my pick of the round, but then I was reminded of Joe's fairly accurate point that, and maybe Graham made this point too, like they've had a, a somewhat easier run to this point, and it-, and it is a Nigeria team that seemed to have figured some things out. So I, I feel like Nigeria get through there. I I don't know. DR Congo did not really impress me. And if they don't have Kakuta, I think Guinea get through. They've not won a game. Yeah. They've not won a game the whole tournament. Which is, I guess, a better argument for why they haven't been impressive. Uh, (laughs) Mali, Every Coast. Joe, I feel like you've been the the Mali head, the Mali stan. Those are not great things to say uh, out loud as opposed to written out. (laughs) And you've done them. I have. Uh, Because I think (laughs) Cap Verde, South Africa, I would assume it will be... A, a strange one that is somewhat open with South Africa having more of the ball and more clear-cut opportunities. But with Mali and what we've seen from this Ivory Coast team, this rejuvenated, reborn Ivory Coast team until they play this next game and lose 4-0, uh, like, w- what, what are your feelings about what Mali could do or could not do against Ivory Coast? I think Mali will set up to play against the ball. I think they're going to stick in that 4-4-2 diamond shape and they're going to try to create turnovers when Ivory Coast build or when they possess in midfield, I think that's going to be the game. So I think Ivory Coast are going to have more of the ball in this match, and we'll see Mali really try to get at them with their defensive pressure and with their transition attacks. I, I, I still would have the Ivory Coast winning this game. I'll do my, my four predictions here in a minute. I'd still have the Ivory Coast winning this game, but a, a Mali win. 4-0 would surprise, um, but a, a Mali win in general would not surprise. I've got Nigeria, I've got Guinea, I've got the Ivory Coast, and I've got Cape Verde continuing their Cinderella run. Woo. Let's make it happen, folks. Wow. Yeah. Joe, I'm so proud of you. I didn't even have to prompt you for the predictions. You just did them. You know Jeff's been a good coming. influence on me. What can I say? Oh, we love you, Jeff. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much indeed, Jets, for that one. Thank you, listener, for joining us on this journey. Taylor Rockwell, your services are appreciated as always. Same to you, my friend. Uh, Graham Rosen, thank you very much for your insight. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe, thanks as always, you double speed maniac. Oh, thanks, Ryan. <laughs> listener, thanks again for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.